0: times, with the help of that glorious adult juice we call liquor. First, we want to acknowledge the lands on which we are recording our podcast today. I'm currently recording on the unceded territories of the Coquitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Katsi, Musqueam, Squamish, Kakite, and Stolo First Nations.
1: And I am currently recording on the lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and I acknowledge that the land I am on is covered by Treaty 13, signed by the Mississaugas of the Credits, and the Williams Treaty signed with the multiple Mississaugas
0: and Chippewa bands. Hey guys, this is Alyssa. Just a quick heads up before we get to the episode for today. Our guest for the Anne of Green Gables episode, Lindsay, had some issues with her audio, and it's totally intelligible, but it does sort of cut in and out. We're not exactly sure what happened, but it happened. We still wanted to get the episode out for you today, so just bear with us and sorry about that. Here's the episode. Today we will be discussing Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. Although Anne is a series of novels, today we'll be focusing on just the first novel, Anne of Green Gables.
1: And uh, today we have a super special guest.
2: So welcome, Lindsay Wall. Welcome. Lindsay, Tell us about yourself. Hi, thank you. Super happy to be here. Um, I am, of course, Allison's sister. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit about me. I am a student currently doing my master's in public, of public policy and global affairs. And uh, most importantly, I'm a big fan of this book, podcasts, and casual drinking. So being here is a real win for me. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> thank
1: you for being here. Very excited.
2: Thanks.
0: Awesome. Okay, so to get us started, what are we all drinking today?
1: Uh, okay, so I will... Lindsay and I were just speaking about this. We wanted to do the raspberry cordial. We couldn't quite get it together. So we were drinking red wine and pretending it's curried wine. I don't really know exactly what curried wine is, but I imagine it's similar to red wine. So I'm drinking red wine today, like Diana, and getting drunk on it. Perfect. Yeah. I probably won't drink three tumblers full, but
2: who knows?
0: Do
1: it for the, the podcast.
2: <laughs> what were you saying, Lindsay? Well, I was saying... Diana thought she was drinking the cordial. Mm-hmm. She was drinking a wine. So there's mm-hmm. still an authenticity to what we're drinking. Yeah. It's still true, true to the literature, the source material. Yeah,
0: Absolutely.
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. a little, a little disappointed that I couldn't have a, a raspberry cordial cocktail though. I but know, yeah, I would have liked that. But gotta make another do. time.
1: Yeah. But Alyssa had her shit together.
0: <laughs> I tried. I tried today. So I actually made homemade raspberry cordial. And then I added uh, a little bit of lemon juice, some gin, and some soda water. So, what I am calling this cocktail is the Anne Shirley Temple. I am very okay. proud of this. Yeah. Wow. I love it a lot. Yes. I'm very proud.
1: I think that is up there with uh, the power drill that mm-hmm. I drank uh, for the Diary of Wimpy Kid episode. So mm-hmm.
2: it's okay, up there with guys. that. I
1: know. Making up so cocktails.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's just wonderful. I, uh,
1: I hope that Anne Shirley Temple is actually good. Oh, it's the delicious. Power yeah. was not It's fully good, delicious. So.
2: It <laughs> right. sounds delightful. And yeah. for those who are listening and can't see, it is a gorgeous color. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. a coral orangey red.
1: Yeah, it looks like a nice summery drink.
0: Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. it is very good. I will be making it again.
1: All right. Wonderful. All right, so Anne of Green Gables. So um, I think I first read this book when I was about, like, 12. I remember being in, like, grade 7. But I had definitely watched the Megan Follows movie before that. Um, But I never read beyond the first book. I only – I didn't go on with the series. But I've watched the movie, like, a million times. But actually, most of my experience with Anne actually comes from the musical. More specifically, the amount of times I have auditioned for it. (laughs) Anne is one of my dream roles. I will – I'll probably finally get to play Anne when I'm about 40. That and seems unfortunately right. I would probably still look young enough <laughs> to play the role. Um, but I, the book specifically, I would have given it a ten out of ten as a kid. And also, side note, I was sent some material to look at for work this year and it was created by a woman named Anne Green Gilbert. Can we just take a moment? That has oh, to be I'm intentional.
0: Sure. Yeah, like she yeah. must know. Like Yeah. Her parents knew, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're like <laughs> Anne Green and then I know. I don't know if like Gilbert would be a married name or because Green and Gilbert would be two last names. I don't
0: know. But super neat, though. Mm -hmm. It's very fun. Yeah. How fun.
1: What about you, Alyssa?
0: Yeah. So I think I probably watched the movie around the same time as you did. I mean, like we probably watched it together at some point. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I remember liking it for sure, but I don't remember being obsessed with it. It just it didn't leave like a really, really lasting impression for me. Um, I read the book, I think maybe in late elementary school, and then I didn't read it again until I took a Canadian lit class in my undergrad. So that was like six or seven years ago that I, I last read this book. Oh wow. um, And I liked it then too, but I didn't remember like half of what happened in it. I, so ironically, I'm actually teaching N of Green Gables this semester, oh, <laughs> so I, I am killing that. two birds with one stone by reading it for the podcast and reading it for so I can mark my students' essays. So, so that's great. great. Um, getting a lot out of this. I will you not be them- referring them to this <laughs> yeah. podcast. Hello, if you're in English 112, please leave. Yeah, um, no,
1: bring them on. We need <laughs> some listeners. Come on. <laughs>
0: But uh, yeah, I, I think I probably would have rated it like an eight or a nine. I definitely enjoyed it, but I just, I, it wasn't that impressionable for me. So I think maybe,
2: yeah, maybe an eight or a nine. Very cool. What about you, Lindsay? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of this book uh, and I really so loved it as a child. I actually don't remember exactly when I first read it. Um, I would guess about nine. Uh, I have read the whole series. There's like eight books. Ooh. Most of them I've just read once. I did, there was one summer, I, I went for it. I, did I like remember right that
1: through. summer, yeah, that you just read them all.
2: I really leaned into the Green Gables extended mm-hmm. universe. Uh, but this first book, I think I've probably read it about, about 10 times. Um, I really like it. Uh, like Nelson, I've watched the, the Megan Follows movie uh, on many occasions have also dabbled in the newer CPC series, Anne with the E. Uh, so yeah, big fan of the book, big fan of Anne. Easy 10 out of 10 rating for me. Nice. Awesome. All right, let's jump
1: into a bit of a synopsis. Matthew Cuthbert goes to the train station to pick up the orphan boy that he and his sister Marilla are adopting to help with on their farm. But he arrives to find a girl... B- by the name of Anne Shirley. Not knowing what to do, he brings her home to Green Gables. Anne, who has been an orphan her whole life and has been handed from family to family, never truly wanted, instantly falls in love with Green Gables and is heartbroken to discover that she's not supposed to be there. After discovering the miscommunication, Marilla decides to keep Anne. Anne has a temper, causing her to lash out at their neighbor, Miss Lynde, and breaks a slate over Gilbert Blythe's head, a boy in her class who teases her. And she has an active imagination, which was her saving grace throughout her rough childhood, but it sometimes leads her into trouble and causes her to be forgetful and mindless at times. Despite all this, Matthew and Marilla are enamored by her large heart, fanciful nature, and eagerness to please.
0: We follow Anne's adventures as she grows up in Avonlea, making friends with Diana Barry, the girl who lives next door to Green Gables, as well as a few other girls in her class, and she begins a rivalry with Gilbert, whom she's determined to beat to become the top of the class. Anne's temper, dramatics, and imagination lead her into trouble, like dyeing her hair green instead of black after being ridiculed for her red hair, or accidentally giving Diana Berry currant wine instead of raspberry cordial and getting her drunk. Her teacher, Miss Stacy, encourages Anne to take the entrance exam at Queen's, which she attends and finishes her first teaching degree in one year instead of two. She's awarded the Avery Scholarship to pursue a Bachelor's of Arts at Redmond
2: College. But tragedy strikes when matthew dies from a heart attack and gives up her scholarship to stay at home with marilla and plans to teach at the school in the neighboring town gilbert who is the new avonlea school teacher gives up his position so Anne can be closer to marilla this act cements friendship and Anne finally lets go of her long-held grudge against gilbert sorry i end. gave you the sad part with uh matthew dying. i was <laughs> I just saying i was like Big thanks for <laughs> the like, <laughs> chapter of, yeah. of this glorious book. Yeah. Saddest <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry, Let's no, pretend sorry. it didn't happen. Happy yeah. to take this one for the team, I guess. All right, thank
1: you. Um, but trope shot for orphaned main characters. Do yeah. We just go for it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. I Absolutely. It's my wine <laughs> All right. Good. Point. Yeah, we can do
1: half shots today because I do teach hours ahead of you guys
2: <laughs> so ugh. oh yeah All right. mm-hmm. um not to take too much of a a walk away from the the, the plot here but you guys mm. have like a set shot that you go for or is it whatever's in the cupboard
1: ah uh, yeah whatever we got i have vodka today sometimes it's gin it's whichever one doesn't make me want to puke by smelling it that day so
2: that's nice.
0: that's fair, yeah. That's um, how I go by it. I'm a big fat cheater, and I usually shoot Baileys because it's only 20%. <laughs> so that's that's my hack for not getting super yeah. crazy.
1: I love your style. I feel I like, see. yeah, I'm the one that just goes for it. And I'm just like, you know what? It's for the podcast. Yeah, so.
0: <laughs> I, I admire and respect you,
2: and I am grateful.
1: I hope, yeah. I second that. Listeners. I going that. I'm gonna, Thank you for supporting me.
2: I'll stick with the wine <laughs> sips, but I'm, I'm glad you're just really taking that extra step into this this journey i I am committed if anything
1: (laughs) so i was actually really surprised at how universally written this book is like i always thought of it more as a children's book but i found it super enjoyable to read as an adult and like there's clearly moments written for an adult audience like more to do with Marilla's character um which yeah so that surprised me but i also looked it up to see if the book was published as a novel first or like a chapter by chapter in a newspaper Mm -hmm. like i know um Like Charles Dickens' books were originally published like that, because each chapter kind of has its own adventure and its own sort of climax and resolved. Um, But it was published as a book first. Um, But it felt like it could have been more of like an episodic uh, format in that way. Um, But it makes it. I feel like it makes it an easy book to read uh, over a long period of time because it's easy to put it down after a chapter. There aren't that many cliffhangers, Uh, and it ends on like a nice
2: resolve. So yeah. That was something I noticed about the way the book is written as well. Just each chapter is a very encapsulated little vignette, stand Mm. on its own. Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: totally. I think the reason that I was able to spread this book out over an entire week, like normally I read books in like 24 to 48 hours just because that's how I live my life but (laughs) this time I actually read it over the course of like seven whole days and I think the reason that I was able to do that is because there is a bit of a resolution to each chapter so Mm. I could put it down and feel good about about ending it there for the night so that was that was kind of nice for me to not you know stay up until like four in the morning reading it (laughs) right yeah (laughs) better for my lifestyle Yeah. yeah Yeah, and I do agree with you that there's definitely something in this book for all ages. Although the main character is a child for the majority of the novel, we do get a lot of like adult thinking and complexity, uh, and we see that with quite a few characters, but especially with Marilla. And we actually don't meet Anne until a few chapters into the book, so we really do start with the adult perspective Uh, And we get that sort of adult framing of the story and of the society. We're getting sort of Marilla's perspective on uh, where they live. And actually, if you think about it, the story is partially about Anne growing up. But I think it's also about Marilla because it starts and ends with her emotional journey from not wanting an orphan girl to being kind of a dick and then finally admitting that she loves Anne at like the very 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 end of the novel which by the way was so wholesome and I really love her character (laughs) it was beautiful yeah but it's an interesting trajectory Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: in terms of the writing quality I was actually pleasantly surprised at how well written the novel was I mean I knew it was good it wouldn't be like a timeless classic if it wasn't but it was just really nice to be reminded of that when I read it today Mm
2: -hmm. for today
0: (laughs) Um, and we get such beautiful descriptions of the maritime landscape, and it really is no wonder that PEI is such a tourist destination because of this book, like, people around the world know about Mm -hmm. this tiny, the itty-bittiest province in Canada because of this book, Mm -hmm. and it's really cool, um, that people are still so enchanted by it that they go and visit this place.
2: Yeah, her description of it is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, my my fun fact here is that even though Avonlea is is fictional, uh, it is inspired by the real world town of Cavendish, Prince Edward Island. Hmm. Uh, This is where Lucy Montgomery grew up, and she lived in a Green Gabled home. It's where she wrote this book. And this is a place you can go visit. Tourists love to frequent the uh, the Green Gables heritage site. so I guess, yeah, my point here is that after reading Anne's descriptions of her surroundings, we're actually also seeing Lucy Maud's own worldview and how she saw and what she felt about her surroundings, which I think is kind of neat.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, totally. It It is so
0: beautiful and i love it but i think we also get some really playful prose not just really um interesting descriptions but especially with anne's monologues which i found so interesting to read this time like actually i genuinely believe at least a third of the novel is written in the form of a monologue like the anne shirley monologue which is its own form uh and it's it's really fun to read and it does give us a sense of her character from the very beginning, we know exactly who she is. We totally know a person like that, somebody who can just rattle on and on and has like this vivid imagination. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, it was a little bit monotonous at times just because I'm like flipping through. It's been three pages and I'm like, wait, is she still talking? Oh, <laughs> but I yeah. guess it's sort of also for the reader, then mirrors Marilla's experience with Anne. We're sort of bewildered at the beginning. We're like, why is she still talking? But by the end, we're like, oh, that's cute. You know, so we, we kind of yeah, go yeah. on that journey with her. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, totally. I think for me, and monologues, you know, even even the three-page ones, <laughs> they're what makes the book for me. Uh, mm-hmm. She has such a strong and unique voice, and uh, Ellen Montgomery's writing really brings that to life. She really jumps off the page. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. She stole my quote. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> she kept reading.
0: No, but she, she does come to life. There's a reason that people have such an emotional resonance with this character and why she's still so relevant. I mean, Mm -hmm. you said that you were watching Anne with an E, which I think only came out a few years ago, right? And it's clearly still a character that people care about and are fascinated by and that Mm -hmm. people can connect to even a 100 years later.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's such a well-constructed character. Mm -hmm. Gotta love her.
0: Okay, so you know it's time to get into the nitty gritty. Let's get into the references. Let's just go for Gilly it. Go. Let me use my degrees. So <laughs> we get so many literary references in this book, which I love, and mainly the allusions and references and quotations are to American and British poetry, although we also get a few biblical references and some references to Canadian lit, although lit wasn't as big of a thing back then because Canada wasn't as big of a thing back then Uh, but it is really interesting to me especially on this read-through that most of the literary references were to poetry so clearly Ella Mm -hmm. Montgomery was an avid poetry reader and it was just extremely fun for the 19th century North American poetry nerd in me to read those because I'm like hey that's that's what I do (laughs) cool Mm -hmm. she knows that too
1: (laughs) The only poem I really knew was I. Uh, um, I remember reading "The Lady of Shalott." I think it's that's what it's called in mm-hmm. high school. I think it was either for mythology or literature. I don't remember which class. Um, but like I recognized it as from Anne of Green Gables, and I was like, "Oh, that's the one she reads when she goes down the river." So I was just like giggling to myself the whole class while we're reading this like dramatic, sad poem. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yeah, the same she almost drowned."
0: By the way, that is such a dramatic thing for kids to do. <laughs> like, oh, i'm that. gonna pretend to die now <laughs> excuse me Will <Right>. so <laughs> i float down the river
2: Iconic. so good yeah yeah I-, I loved literary references as well um but i also found myself fishing for references to canadian current events from the mm-hmm. time the story takes place um something you should know about me is i, I love facts trivia <laughs> checking it's a real annoying hobby in pastime but here i am but it's useful for something like a podcast. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm here to fill the air with with some, some Canadian history, so here we go. Um, but seriously, honestly, I thought there would be more uh, facts or, you know, little details to contextualize the book within its time frame. Mm-hmm. Besides some of the general norms and uh, values of the time, Avonlea, of course, is definitely a fictional, fictional town, and it's also very removed from the rest of society. I guess that's part of the charm. Um, but one thing I learned while doing my digging was that while the Megan Follows film takes place in 1900 or so, the books apparently take place quite a bit earlier, in about the 1870s. Mm-hmm. So I gather sending the film later was a choice on the part of the film's director, Kevin Sullivan, as he felt that the early 20th century aesthetic was nicer than that of the 1870s. Uh, So the only detail I could find to corroborate this, and that gives away the time frame of the book, was actually the chapter where Marilla and Rachel go to the political rally. There's mention of the premier being of the Conservative Party. Uh, Now, Prince Edward Island, which became a province in 1873, had a conservative premier through most of the 1870s and 1880s, with the exception of one brief liberal premiership. However, from eighteen ninety one to nineteen eleven, the time frame in which the film takes place, PEI was governed by a series of, of liberal premieres. So from this we can kind of place the book approximately in the eighteen seventies, possibly eighties. That
0: is really mm-hmm. interesting and it makes me wonder about maybe the reason the book is and remains so timeless is because it wasn't specifically set at mm-hmm. a particular moment in history. It's yeah, that's very what I was general
1: yeah, there's a very timelessness of it, yeah. like it
0: could have been
1: really, uh, like, because uh, later on, the only other thing that kind of solidifies it in a certain time frame is when World War One comes into play. Right. Right. Um, and but other than that, like, there's yeah. like a 50-year uh, yeah, time like frame it could window? be in,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, yeah. I definitely think that's a strength of the book, um, sort mm-hmm. of the timelessness of it. Pretty mm-hmm. neat. Yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously reading this book as a
1: child I was always very focused on and interested in Anne's character lead character the young girl the heroine obviously Uh, but this time I really enjoyed Marilla's character Um, like there's so many hints dropped here and there how similar she was to Anne as a child which I thought was so much fun to read and we see her grow and change throughout the book Um, to a point like Alyssa said earlier she admires and is inspired by Anne and um yeah, I think you mentioned this earlier. Like, I think it's just as much Marilla's story as it is Anne's story, and I would argue Marilla goes on more of an emotional change mm-hmm. than Anne because Anne really stays the the same. Like, she kind of uh, becomes more confident, she becomes more grounded and more sure of herself. But uh, Marilla is the one who really learned to like open up her heart and uh, learn to enjoy life. So, um, yeah, I really liked reading Marilla this time.
0: Nice. Yeah, I I did too, and it it the books really really do begin and end with marilla in such a lovely way Mm -hmm. and it frames the novel in a way that i think gives it a bit more like emotional complexity or depth for adult readers but it's not Mm -hmm. alienating to young readers as well because it humanizes her for them and Mm -hmm. the kids get like anne's adventures and the adults get the insight and the emotional journey that marilla goes on So I did, Mm. I enjoyed both this time, but I think I got more out of Marilla's storyline on this read-through for sure. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, I really agree with this. And I think also because the book is written in third-person omniscient, we are able to gain insight into Marilla's thoughts, which are often quite different than what she says out loud, especially to Anne. Uh, So readers are able to get to know Marilla in a different and maybe even deeper way than Anne is, particularly in the first half of the book. Anne, Marilla, is a loving parental figure, but she really only sees Marilla's stoic outward self um, up until the end. Um, but we we do, as the readers, we do get to see that Marilla is really quite the softy, uh, mm-hmm. even from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, she does open up as the, as the book progresses. Um, one of my favorite conversations between Anne and Marilla is when Marilla admits that Rachel's personality makes her want to do the exact opposite of what... Uh, Rachel preaches or recommends and
1: yeah uh, I think this is right, a, that was a good scene totally yeah, yeah.
2: I think we got re- a really good glimpse um uh some of those similarities between Anne and Marilla through that conversation uh mm-hmm. and, and it's a nice moment as we're getting to see their relationship matures adult- as Anne progresses into adulthood mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: yeah.
1: Basically, what I'm trying to say is uh, once I've uh, done auditioning for Anne, I'm just going to start auditioning for Marilla. Yes. For Anne, yeah. So <laughs> I will be auditioning for Anne of Green Gables for the rest of my life, folks. Don't worry.
2: You'll make <laughs> it. You'll get the show Maybe it one day. day. Yeah. It's going to happen. I'll it. <laughs>
0: Okay, so another aspect of the book that I'm really interested in is we get some really interesting moral and social commentaries that I definitely didn't pick up on as a small child. So let's just get Mm -hmm. into it. Here we go. We seem to get a bit of a religious commentary throughout the book, but especially with the whole Sunday school debacle that happens pretty early on in the novel and has a hard time adjusting to the Christian standards of both Marilla and the society that they live in. And when she arrives at Green Gables, she genuinely doesn't know how to pray properly, and Marilla is so shocked by this. And when she attends Sunday school um, and gets really frustrated by the way that religion is taught to children, she has these burning questions that no one can answer or no one wants to answer, and Mm -hmm. she's so frustrated by this. And to me, it felt like a bit of a commentary on the religious teachings of the time and that maybe Ellen Montgomery experienced sort of similar trepidations in her youth, just being frustrated by adults, I guess, intentionally complicating things or not wanting to explain things to kids, not taking the time to understand why they're asking these questions.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that we do see the religious moral come back at the end of the novel, especially in the closing lines, which reference Christianity explicitly. And this reminded me a lot of when we did our Jane Eyre episode, where we get this hesitantly negative religious commentary throughout the novel, but then it ends on like a very high key religious note by quoting the Bible at the very end in like the last sentence. (laughs) Um, So it seems like novels written around this time, especially by women, had to sort of protect themselves from critics by going back on some of the religious critiques that they made in the novel. I just thought it was really interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, There's definitely a huge theme of morality in this book, um, like what it means to be good and why should you be good. And so Marilla starts trying to teach Anne morals from a more religious context and like tells her off for thinking or saying something that is quote unquote wicked, but like Anne rarely has bad intentions. Like if she lashes out or hurts someone, it's because they hurt her first or she was provoked. And if she ever misbehaves, it's because she didn't know any better or she just has a different idea of what's appropriate in the situation. I thought it was uh, super interesting. Like, for example, she goes to church and puts flowers in her hat, which to her was like a way of dressing up. And she picks the flowers because they're so beautiful and she wants to keep them. But Marilla and Miss Lynn see this as like disrespectful and are appalled that she went to church like that. So it's like this emphasis on being good for goodness sake and having good intentions. But like we also all make mistakes and so as long as you're trying, like you're, you can, you're not a bad person for making a mistake. So I thought that was super interesting, that kind of balance of good and bad
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah,
1: that she played with. Yeah,
2: for yeah. sure. Um, Alyssa, you make a really uh, interesting point about the morality being a quality of the time it was written. But I also wonder if it's a reflection of the fact that the book's written for children. Mm-hmm. Um, and gets into so many debacles, and <laughs> so my sense is that the heavy emphasis on morals, on right and wrong, and proper behavior, is to sort of counterbalance that, and to make Anne's misadventures and learning turn those misadventures into learning moments for the reader, who is often a child, and. As far as I'm aware, I think weaving morality and lessons into children's literature is still a pretty common practice today. Although, depending on the book, there isn't always such a direct and explicit tie to Christian values. I think that aspect might be a reflection of Lucy Maud herself. I have a sneaky suspicion she was a Protestant who voted conservative because of how <laughs> she depicts take the Catholics. But I could be wrong. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think the specific, while the specific morals in the book reflect values of the writer and of the time and the place the book was written, the heavy emphasis on lessons of right and wrong could also be a quality of children's books. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good yeah.
2: Point.
0: Yeah, I think you're definitely right. And we've come across that so much in. All of the kids' books that we've read, basically, where we're oh, yeah, a little bit shocked at how overt some of the moral teachings are. <laughs> we're like, wow, well, when I was a kid, I didn't notice that he was telling me to think this exact way, but now I see. So yeah, it I is interesting to pick I'm looking up at on you, yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder what that says about morality in children's literature, though. Does that mean it's not working, or is it working on such a subconscious level that yeah. you're just like taking it in, but you're uh, yeah. not realizing? I mean.
1: Because yeah, obviously children it- aren't reading Anne Green Gables being like, this is what it means to be good. Yeah. Uh, you're just <laughs> yeah. reading it because like, I like Anne. She's yeah. funny. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, but like uh, subconsciously, I guess you're picking up the morals of like, oh, she makes mistakes and that's okay. But she never makes the same mistake twice and she tries to be good. So I should try to be good too, like Anne.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I think the reason thing. it's so effective is because when the character is relatable, it means that you have similar life experiences or feelings. So it's... Almost a roadmap for how to how to deal with problems that you face, and and faces a lot of issues that I think are sort of universal, especially for for young girls at that time. Dealing with um, people talking about your appearance, dealing with boys being little shits, uh, dealing with your family, dealing with the values of the time, dealing with the drama in the schoolroom. You know, so I think I think that the kids on on a subliminal level mostly are taking away something constructive from that, which is it's good to see. It's just, mm-hmm. it becomes suspicious when it's like an overtly religious or political agenda where I'm like, okay, maybe we should be questioning this.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that part of it is a little bit jarring, I guess, as an adult. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's sort of like, okay, well. Yeah, it's in modern sort of times too, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I also want to talk for a second about a really specific social care commentary that we get on alcohol consumption uh, in this book, especially through Mrs. Alcohol. Thomas's drunk husband, which I think that's the first family that Anne stays with. Um,
1: yeah, I believe it's. Uh, yeah, the Thomases then the Hammonds. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So we get. Anne's experience with somebody who's drunk and supposedly abusive, and then we see her in PEI, which is sort of described as a dry province. And I think that that's why Diana exi- accidentally getting drunk is such a major plot point. Um, to, to, aside from being like really really funny, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's a the fun book, scene, but yeah. yeah, the book seems to pretty hardly condemn alcohol. And this leads me to my next thought, which is I think that we should do a shot. In spite of this, <laughs> not a trope shot per se, kind of like a meta shot, in terms right, of like right. this is a podcast where we drink alcohol and talk about books, but this yeah. book talks about not drinking alcohol, so we gotta drink alcohol.
2: So oh, I'm Can I can I also top it here? Um, mm-hmm. And maybe I'll I'll propose another another shot slash sip opportunity. Oh boy, called the fact check shot. Ooh. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to say was again, because I discovered that the book takes place in the 1870s. Prohibition was not introduced until 1901, mm. in the E.I., and it lasted all the way until 1948. Can you believe that? It's a long time. Oh damn, yeah. Um, what? <laughs> but uh, when Lucy Mod Montgomery wrote it, it, it was published in uh, 1908. Prohibition was active, and right. Uh, fully agree about the uh sort of the negative or critical views on alcohol throughout the throughout the book so yeah. let's let's all enjoy a little sip a little meta moment yeah plus a fact check moment yeah
1: I'd love to share with everyone I did put some lemon juice in that one shot and it was much more manageable so mm-hmm. I think I might you were right this whole time Listen, I mm-hmm. just like, have not bought lemon juice and mm-hmm. I did today <laughs> I've oh, been yeah. telling and, you
0: cut your Listen right with acid. I to you. <laughs> not the hard drug i mean the lemon okay <laughs> yeah uh, yeah
1: but yeah that's a long time for prohibition damn
0: yeah
1: well yeah. nearly so. like 50 years
0: it yeah. it is interesting to me the edition of the book that i have is a norton critical edition like it's an academic edition so there were a lot <laughs> of footnotes which i found really useful for uh some like oh, social nice, stuff yeah. political stuff um more more information about like when they're saying this they mean this uh mm-hmm. and one of the ones that there was a footnote on was when it, marilla's talking about there's something to do with like she keeps some alcohol in her house for medicinal purposes but i think it's it's whiskey or something like that so there were there was still alcohol in the community but they weren't using it you know to get turned basically <laughs>
1: All right, it is time for... It's not necessarily a feminist rant today. It, it um, might be. It's um, a yeah. lot <laughs> We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, so obviously, like, being an older book, gender roles are very present. Um, the main conflict in the first few chapters is that they wanted a boy, but were sent to girls yeah. by mistake, so they might send her back. And, like, a lot of the older characters tell Anne and Diana what they can and can't do because of their gender. But... Uh, but Anne is still a pretty feminist and modern character for the time this was published, this, like similar to Jane Eyre. I found a lot of uh, similarities to Jane Eyre with yeah. this book, which was interesting. And maybe just because we just read it. That was <laughs> my one. That could be it. But um, uh, like similar to Jane Eyre, I would say that. But I think Anne is aged better than Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. I would say um, like Marilla and Matthew fully support her in her education. Like the only thing that gets in her way is like the fact that she wants to stay at green Gables to help Marilla. And um, I think this is in the second book. I, I just read Anne of Avonlea. I'm going to read Anne of the Island too. Um, Cause I have the first three, but she like doesn't see marriage as her only option. Like if she happens to find someone she would like to marry, that's great. But if not, like she's okay to stay an old maid. Um, and that's probably to do with her upbringing and like with Marilla and Matthew was like, yeah. they're fine. I don't have to get married. But then on the opposite side of that, we see Diana who wants to be married. She's perfectly happy that with that. So we get both sides and they're both validated and supported in the decision.
0: Yeah, this is this is a funny tidbit that just, I guess, shows how dumb and tired I was when I was reading these. But for like the first half of the novel, I genuinely thought that Matthew and Marilla were married and not siblings. <laughs> And then I realized and I was like, oh, but it it actually made Marilla more feminist to me. So that was that was a fun discovery. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're totally right. Like we see quite a few examples of independent women in this book, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether they're younger and unmarried or widowed or what we would call quote old maids and Mm -hmm. it's a pretty great message i think to send to girls back then that they could focus on school or focus on a career and not have to worry too much about marriage Mm -hmm. and i really enjoyed uh, how much marilla and matthew supported Anne in her going to school and how proud they were of her and the fact that she was at the top of the class and got a scholarship so she's pretty self-sufficient and they're supportive of her making her own money and having a career
1: i know yeah it's so sweet to see Yeah. yeah
0: And I think it's a pretty big deal that we see a woman in close competition with a man academically and professionally, Mm -hmm. and that Anne was the one to win the scholarship over Gilbert, although Gilbert did win the medal. But Mm -hmm. it seems like Montgomery wanted us to see how Anne and Gilbert are intellectual equals. And I really like that. And I think it's pretty woke for the time. (laughs) Yeah, totally. She's like, look, they're equals. They keep
2: tying. Yeah, I I really appreciated that about the book as Mm -hmm. well. Um. And I think on my read through, something that stood out to me was, you know, in addition to the emphasis on education and that adulthood independence, as a child, Anne encouraged to be outdoors, try new things, play games with friends. And she is given a bit of independence and how she spends her free time. So sort of like a mm-hmm. whimsical wildness to her childhood. Um, it's not like her entire childhood just spent focusing on improving domestic skills and her hobbies aren't totally confined to those that might take place within the home although we do see her pursuing and learning those types of activities as well and you know for me uh, outdoor imagination games with friends were a huge part of my childhood and so I think mm-hmm. that element of girlhood is still really relevant and yeah. relatable to the modern day reader and it was that oh was, yeah definitely yeah and that was just something I felt you know connected to aunt through yeah for sure
0: yeah and I think you're right that like Anne has a lot of freedom like more freedom than I was expecting her to have and mm-hmm. I mean part of that is just the time in which it was written kids could just the, the parents would send them outdoors and after breakfast they'd be like come home by dark and then the kid would just <laughs> come like, well, home 12 hours is, yeah, later home. yeah <laughs> I mean to be fair we did stuff like that when we were really young because you know back then it was less sketchy but yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get away with that now as a kid you you oh, first yeah. of all the kid would have a cell phone second their parents would be tracking them if they were out of doors probably on like a creepy app or something but it it is interesting that she has so much independence and that Mm -hmm. she is out of doors so much which is traditionally seen as a more masculine space as opposed to the home
2: exactly Mm -hmm. yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. to get to, to go on a bit of a rant uh,
1: so right. go for it. <laughs> it is. We need our feminist rant. Yeah, we ah. do. We
0: need the rant. So, it is so 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 frustrating to me all of the scenes in the schoolroom where the boys are being such dicks to the girls, and as a modern reader, like we are, I think way past the point where teasing and torturing little girls because the boys think they're cute is a valid excuse. It's it was never an excuse, but it's like completely unacceptable. And why can't they just be nice to the girls that they like? This is my question. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And, of course, of course, when Anne does fight back against Gilbert, when he says something mean about her appearance, and she she breaks the slate over his head, like, by accident, she just wanted to whack him. She's the one who gets in trouble, not Gilbert, even though he instigated it. And it's so frustrating. And
1: he admits to it, too. He's like, no, that was my fault. I provoked her and they're still like no Anne's in trouble yeah but I will say I did appreciate Anne's commitment to not just taking the apology (laughs) and not only forgiving him when he actually like did a kind act for her like saving her from drowning or like giving up the Avonlea school so she could say Green Gables uh even when everyone told her she was uh it was silly and she was letting it go on too long like she stuck to it and I admire that about Anne Mm -hmm. like I still hold grudges from my past so like I relate
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs>
1: yeah but I do feel like we see uh, some of LM um, L. Montgomery's uh, prejudice towards uh, some or like I guess misogyny towards uh, some of the other female characters mm-hmm. for like for example, Miss Lind is known as like the gossip and is nosy not super likable and then Ruby Gillis is known as like boy crazy. And like in this, I, I think it's Anne of Avonlea, um, the second book, she basically says she doesn't like Ruby anymore because she's too boy crazy. And it's like these kind of um, like feminine, like the negative feminine traits that people put on women that like make these characters unlikable.
0: Yeah, women tearing other women that.
1: down. Yeah, and I feel like it's similar to what I said in the series Unfortunate Events episode. Like, I feel like there's this expectation that you're, like, either a feminine girl who likes pink and you're well-behaved and you like dolls and you only think of boys and weddings. Or you're the other type of girl who's smart or athletic and you don't like pink and don't like boys. Yeah. And, like, it feels like – I sometimes feel like there's, like, you're one of two. And it's like, why can't we just do whatever the hell we want? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's my feminist rant, I guess, Yeah. And like yeah, because Anne said out is different from her classmates because she fits into the other category, not like the feminine category. Um, yeah, it's like this weird categorization of girls,
0: and I don't like it. Let's stop it, everyone. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we have like the hegemonic gender binary, like masculine and feminine. But even within femininity, we have the same binary of mm-hmm. like you can only be a female or a male within the female side of the binary and it's Mm. it's it it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense it's so frustrating yeah that's what i have to say about that yep um and it is like anne is never actually described as particularly feminine especially compared to a lot of the other female characters that we see. And she's often very self-deprecating of her appearance and how she doesn't fit into like the romantic stereotypes of the delicate features and the dark hair. And it's really hard to see her being so hard on herself and her own physical appearance like that really hurt me to read. And we see a bit of a moral on vanity through all of this and through Anne, especially with the episode where she accidentally dyes her hair green. Uh, (laughs) By the way, that was extremely funny to read um, because I did not remember this from either of my first two reads of this book. So that was like new to me and very funny. But it it was still upsetting to see her being so hard on herself. And I think part of the, the disconnect for me is that the moral on Anne being hard on herself was don't be vain instead of don't be hard on yourself, mm-hmm. mm. which is like a moral that we would apply to that now. Like, don't, yeah. don't self-deprecate, don't shade your own appearance. Whereas back mm. then she was like, don't think about your appearance at all, you know?
2: Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I think these are fair takes. Um, there definitely is a bit of a message in the book that, you know, to be feminist is to divorce oneself from the feminine,
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And I think there are more critiques of the women characters' actions, qualities, and choices than there are in the men's, except for, of course, the drunk husband. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that might be a bit revealing of L.M. Montgomery's internal biases. But as we talked about earlier with Anne Anne and side and such, I think the book does do a really great job of... Depicting women in public life. Uh, women characters in the book go to school, they have jobs, mm-hmm. they organize, participate in community events, they engage in politics. Mm-hmm. Diane aunt Josephine is even depicted as having wealth and owning property. So I really appreciate how women are at the forefront of this novel and they play a variety of different roles in society and in Anne's life. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, we even get the moment of Marilla saying, like, I believe a woman should be able to make her own way in life, even if she doesn't have to, but, like, have the means to do it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, totally. I mean, the novel is filled with so many powerful female characters, and they really take the focus of the book. Most of the male characters are, like, sort of little asides. They're not the main focus at all. None of the main Mm -hmm. characters are actually male and I think quite a few of the male characters that we do see are depicted as pretty passive, uh, especially Matthew. And mm-hmm. that was interesting to me because passivity, especially at this time, is gen- genuinely seen as a more female trait. And especially, mm-hmm. yeah, within the horse historical context. But yes powerful ladies <laughs> yeah it's almost
1: like it switches uh that narrative like we have more female characters than male characters like yeah. when you think of andy green gables and you're like name the male characters Anne Green gables you think matthew and gilbert yeah and like most people will probably stop there yeah like i don't even know if i could continue <laughs> that list right now mm-hmm. um and like gilbert is really like the love interest and then matthew is like her father figure I and I feel like it kind of like flips around. Like, there's so many books that are just like all man, male characters, and then there's like the mother and the uh, love interest. Yeah. so I kind of like that it like flips that around. Yeah,
2: also, yeah. how could you forget about Mr. Barry, whose farm is mentioned time and time again, but Mr. he's never on screen? Oh, oh I'm yeah, sorry. Hey, Mr. Barry, <laughs> Icon- iconic, Mr. Berry. <laughs> yeah, iconic <laughs> Mr. Barry. <laughs>
0: No, but it it is interesting that most of the male presence is on the periphery. We don't actually see it. We just hear about it happening. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, Mr. Phillips. How could we forget Mr. Phillips? (laughs) Could not recall who he is at this moment, to be honest. Uh, I'm giving myself so many points for this segue. Take it away, (laughs) Alyssa.
0: Oh, Mr. Phillips is the teacher? Yeah, I can't remember his name. He's irrelevant, actually. Okay, now I'm gonna rant again. Please hold no. on for one moment, because
1: the next <laughs> note is about this
0: guy. Problematic relationships. I need to. I need to talk about this. We can't not talk about this. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, so in my notes that I wrote when I was as I was reading the book, I this is verbatim what I wrote down. I am one thousand percent skeeved out by Anne's teacher's legit courting of his student who was a 16 year old child Mm -hmm. okay so what the fuck was that uh how is that a thing um they all pretty much accepted that this was happening and was like oh yeah the teacher's like in love with the the student he's kind of courting her and like she's down with it and i guess so are her parents Big yikes! Big yikes!
1: Yeah, trying to like get a gauge from the vibe of the book. If like everyone was like, "Oh, that's weird," for everyone was like, "Oh, okay, you'll just get married." Sure. I mean, like Like, nobody said anything
0: to make it not happen. Yeah, and uh, we don't really hear how it ends either, which is interesting because it was a pretty big part of Anne's school experience up until Prissy left when she turned sixteen. But Mm -hmm. we see uh, what Anne sees in the classroom, and then. Yeah, we genuinely don't know what becomes of their relationship, but <laughs> I did not enjoy that aspect of the book. I have
2: to say, yeah, yeah I'm with you there. This, this plot line got yikes for me as well. Yeah. yeah, I
1: feel like in more at, um, modern adaptations, it's like played off as a joke, almost like at least in the musical. Um, and I think I remember watching an end before E. Like there's the scene where he um, like asks uh, her dad for her hand in marriage, um, and I think i know in the musical uh she accepts and like they come back at the end and she's pregnant and they're married um and it's kind of like a joke and it's so strange like Uh, a joke
0: written by a man yeah (laughs) like this is funny (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean it the the thing that really bothers me isn't that this happened in a book that was written like 150 years ago what bothers me is that this plotline is still being used in media for youth right now. Like mm-hmm. most teen dramas that have more than a few seasons involve a student-teacher relationship in some way. How Over is this death. still acceptable that we're Good. telling our kids that this is like a sexy thing or an acceptable thing?
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: It's it's still so very maybe. much present in like the cultural consciousness and the media that we're being fed. And mm-hmm. I don't know. like, Clearly, we haven't actually come that far from this book. Yeah. <laughs> After <laughs> it's all unfortunate. This time. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, well, like, thank you for coming to a feminist rant. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. has been feminist rant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but okay, let's let's lighten it up. I want no, to let's... know what your favorite sort of escapades and dramas were in this book. Yeah. These,
2: yeah. These are these are the highlights. This is like top True, moments. Highlight reel. And there's so many and mm-hmm. get into so many shenanigans over yeah. the course of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think the green hair incident really takes the cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a really great scene in the Megan Follows movie. Very dramatic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's so good. <laughs> um, well, I've never dyed my hair and had it turn out completely wrong color although I have dyed my hair a few times. I was about to laugh when you said, I've never dyed my hair. I was yeah, like, that's okay. a lot <laughs> well, I have dyed my hair successfully. Yeah, yeah it's locations. always looked good. <laughs> yeah. I've never dyed it, and it's turned out the completely wrong color. Yeah. But I have had some haircuts go, go <laughs> horribly wrong, um, oh. and it is devastating. Um, I'm specifically thinking about a particular incident that happened at a hair salon when I was eight still bothers me to this day. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, um.
1: There's just like a year of photos that Lindsay is in and just so like I remember um so we have these photos in our parents' house. Uh it's like a collage of oh, our mm-hmm. school photos in a circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alyssa knows what we're talking about. Yep. <laughs> and there's just one year and everyone all my friends at ceo is like, what happened to Lindsay? <laughs> <last year>? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm like we don't talk about it it's oh, a no. <laughs> truly tragic really yeah. really bad really bad haircut um oh yeah yeah so that's all i have to say about that right. i i mm-hmm. I, just, I feel the pain i get it yeah relatable uh, yeah um and i guess a close second for me is when Anne really drowns while pretending to be dead on the river true
1: yeah <laughs> I think yeah, I was gonna say I think that one's my favorite, like A plus comedy. Yeah. And like again, Megan Follows is so excellent in that scene. And um I always liked acting out scenes as a kid for movies or shows or whatever like books. And Obviously, I, yes. <laughs> Lindsay and I once got in trouble. For pouring water all over the living room floor trying to act out. It's a hard knock life. <laughs> from, from Annie. Annie. Yeah. yeah. Iconic. So, like, I relate uh, trying to act something out and it goes a little too far. Yeah. It's happened many times. Yes. <laughs> to me, yeah. But second place would be Diana and the Raspberry Cordial incident. Mm-hmm. Another great mm-hmm. scene from the movie. Mm-hmm. Another great scene from the book.
0: Yeah. I... 100% agree with you. The accidental drunk story has, like, such a special place in my heart. That was the one scene that I remembered from the book, reading it when I was young. I remember seeing it in the Megan Follows movie. I remember being like, yes, this is iconic. And I mean, who hasn't accidentally gotten drunk with a friend before? Like, <laughs> I, I do love the green hair scene too, but for me, this one really takes the cake. It's just, I don't know, it's relatable, it's iconic, it's funny. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, and- speaking of Diana, <laughs> beautiful transition. Right. The novel- transitions
1: are on point today. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: <laughs> the novel is basically a treatise on childhood friendship. It is fully arguing that childhood friendship is like the most important thing. Fuck little boys. Fuck the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about friendship, female friendship. Mm-hmm. So the way that Anne and Diana become BFFs is so beautiful. There's no preamble. It's completely wholesome. They just completely immediately become friends. And it's so reminiscent of childhood. You know, you show up in kindergarten and you sit next to somebody and you look at them and you're like, do you want to be my friend? And they're like, yeah. And then 21 years later, you have a podcast together. So, (laughs) you know. You think about anyone in particular? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was going to say,
1: yeah, like, I love their friendship so much. And, like, I don't remember when, like, meeting Alyssa for the first time. Like, we just were friends. Yeah. As long as I can remember, we've been friends. And, like, I, this is what I imagined, like, us becoming friends was like. We were just like, we're friends now, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um. Like, I think we've had one fight over the years, and we were, like, six.
0: <laughs> Probably, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nice. I think it was like over our imaginary boyfriends or something. It was like, I, I don't know. It I thought something. it was
1: about like, there's something like I was being pushed on the swings and everyone was taking turns and Oh, get a turn <laughs> and you were mad about that because I said you could have a turn and then your mom like made me, made you call me and be like, I'm sorry. And it was like, it's okay. want to come over
0: tomorrow. <laughs> I do not remember that at all, but I fully believe that it happened.
1: <laughs> like it was one of those two. I like remember that for some reason. Her <laughs> one fight.
2: Amazing. Amazing. Um, I don't know if you guys have shared this on the podcast before, but I think you should really, really tell the story of how you named your pet hamster after Alyssa. Yes. So there is a
1: perfectly reasonable explanation for this. No, no, no.
0: The reason is that I'm awesome. That is the reason.
1: Okay. Like, that is part of the reason, but... The other half of the reason is that we were moving. So we used to live very close to Elizabeth Mm -hmm. and we were moving and all I knew in my seven year old brain was we were moving far enough that I had to switch schools. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Little did I know it was like an extra like five minutes in the car. (laughs) We were still going to the same high school, but like uh, just different elementary school. And so my seven-year-old brain was like, I am never going to see Alyssa
0: again.
1: <laughs> and that was the summer I got a hamster. So I named my hamster after Alyssa because I was so sad. I would never see my friend yeah, again. Her name and was I Alyssa you, too? Like, <laughs> I think you were there the day we got
0: her. Yeah, and I, I was. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. I remember so vividly. And I think you got her right before you moved because I remember being in the living room at your old house with that hamster.
1: Lindsay had a hamster in the old house. I think my the deal with Mom and oh, Jack, okay. we were at our grandparents for a bit before we could move into the oh, new okay. house. So I think that they were like, when we move into the new house, you can get a hamster. So I feel like that may have been Nibbles was the first
2: one. Oh, sure Nibbles.
1: Yeah. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had, we've had many hamsters over so the sweet. years. It's so hard to keep track. Yeah. <laughs> I, I
2: think there was, there was the maybe house. a dozen
1: or so over the years. Oh, there's that. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Nibbles, oh. Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Uh... Poochie, oh yeah, <laughs>
2: the <Kereo>. real, star <laughs>
1: yeah. There's one more. I'm missing one. Oh, did you kiss snuffles Nipples. Yeah, that was it Yeah, yeah. Okay, half, so half, half a dozen,
2: six, yeah. half dozen. <laughs> uh, hamsters, love them. So <laughs> Anyways, <gasps> I think we were talking about Anne and Diana. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, true. Um, what was the book again? Yeah, I yeah I think I think the childhood innocence that sparks their friendship is just so lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, on day one, they like you know make this this oath to one another to be lifelong friends, and it lasts. And it's just really sweet to see their friendship grow as well as they grow into adults and start to lead their own separate lives. They still maintain that emotional closeness, and I just think that's nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely wholesome content. We love it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. On the lines of, like, friendship, um, something I really liked about this novel is the support of, like, unconventional or found family. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, Anne grew up, like, without her parents. And whenever she lived in a more, like, traditional homes, uh, it was, like, with a mother, father, children. Um, they were, like, the most traumatic experiences of her life. And then she's adopted by a brother and sister, and she finds a home and a family with them. And then she finds, like, uh, a family with Diana, really. Like, she finds, like, a sister, basically. And and Marilla and Matthew as well. Like, neither of them married, and they live their lives um, in their childhood home with each other. And they all still live, um, lead very fulfilled lives with love and family and friendship, regardless of not having the platonic, um, or the, what's the word I'm looking for? Romantic? Like, the... No, like the uh, archetype family, like mom, dad, kids, like none of them really oh, are have that in this book. N- nuclear, mm-hmm. thank you. Uh, none of them have the nuclear family like thing, but they still live very loving lives, which I really liked. I really like that the this, this story kind of supports that mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah.
2: I love that too. I love that Matthew and Marilla just contentedly live together. I know. It's so
0: wholesome.
1: Yeah. I don't
2: think we could do that with Graham, but <laughs> love
0: Graham, but
1: I don't think I could live with him anymore. Oh, no. He's sorry, he's Graham. listening right now. He's, he's editing. editing. Sorry, he's so Graham. Graham, <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: I'm sure he would agree. You, He'd though. be like,
1: no. We did not get along. We lived together. <laughs> it wasn't until I moved out we got along.
0: Isn't that just how it works with siblings sometimes, though? Yeah. Really. It
2: definitely is. Yeah. Oh, I'm, all
0: three I, of us. Yeah,
1: yeah, until, like, Lindsay and I moved out. Then we became friends.
2: Yeah.
0: Speaking of friendship. <laughs> here we go. Here's, here's here's our Here's our tangent. So, I mean in the first about 150 pages of the book and is hella gay like then society etc happened to her and then in the last 20 pages of the book she suddenly becomes interested in gilbert and okay okay i mean i'm not crazy i'm not there have been a lot of queer readings of anne of green gables over the past like 30 years or so it's interesting to think about and i mean I'm not the only one. Like, there's a huge sub-genre of Anne scholarship that is queer content, and it's amazing. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think Diana is full-on in love with
1: Anne. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, maybe I get that more from Skylar Grants from the um, Megan Follows movie, who plays Diana. I think that maybe more from her interpretation... Because, like, her interpretation just definitely feels like she's just so infatuated with Anne. It's really beautiful to watch. But um, I would argue Anne is maybe pansexual because, like, obviously she very much appreciates beautiful and kind women. And she keeps, like, remarking when, like, a woman, a girl is pretty or a woman is pretty. Um, But she clearly has a thing for Gilbert. um, Or that rivalry rivalry wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. Yeah.
2: Yeah totally she clearly thinks about gilbert constantly like when she's Mm -hmm. thinking about her peers she's actually thinking specifically about gilbert yeah it doesn't show her say outwardly and so for me and being interested in gilbert at the end and in the subsequent books doesn't really feel as out of the blue
1: yeah yeah and like at one point um like he stops apologizing and starts to ignore her and she's actually like very upset by it um and it's like oh being ignored is worse than him like continuously trying to apologize to me and make it up to me yeah um and it's one of the few enemies to lovers plot lines that i would say works that i enjoy mm-hmm. um i think the other one was pride and prejudice yeah the darcy and elizabeth that one yeah. and Anne and gilbert i'm like you know what? i can get behind these
2: yeah definitely definitely quite similar to the elizabeth bennett mr darcy dynamic
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely i definitely agree and i think that the reason that Anne and Gilbert's relationship works as opposed to pretty much every other enemies to lovers uh, bits is that we really do see them grow and change before Mm -hmm. they can be together and it doesn't just happen all of a sudden they're not like in a big fight and then they dramatically kiss and all of a sudden they're together because somehow that solves all of their problems it's like there's genuine growth on both of their parts and I think that's what makes it alright and that's what makes it really Uh, I think humanizing and relatable is that people Mm -hmm. change and our opinions of people change Mm -hmm. and it is nice to see Anne slowly realizing that as she grows up and sort of becomes an adult is that oh maybe the ideas that I had when I was 11 aren't the same ones that I have now maybe Gilbert's grown up, maybe I have maybe we have some things in common maybe we would be better as friends, maybe let's make that work
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Um also I love your take on Diana being in love with Anne. I, I think that oh, resonates yeah. with me. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. great.
1: She's even like she said something. It might be in Anna Avonlea where she's like, if I have a girl, I'm naming her Anne. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> You're full on love with Ann. <laughs> oh, well.
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean who's not in love with Anne? We all love right. Anne we in, all love in Anne. Some, yeah. In some way. Yeah. You know oh, yeah. Um and yeah, to me Anne is just Anne. She 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 loves who she loves. Yeah. She transcends labels and categorization. Yeah, she's just That's true. She's so wonderful. Um she yeah, is. Alyssa, you're totally right about the uh there being a fair bit of literature uh, at, that looks at Annabre Gables through queer lenses. Yeah. yeah, definitely definitely worth checking out. I mean, you could read any book
0: through a queer lens, I think. Absolutely. But this one you particularly it. lends one, itself yeah, well to that reading. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And I do I do think it is wonderful that that portion of it has read well over time. It's not, like, mm-hmm. become cringy in some way. It's it's still very... Using it again, wholesome. It's very wholesome, okay? Wholesome. Yeah, that's
1: how I would that's how I'd describe this book. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Um,
1: any last thoughts about this book that anyone wants to throw
0: out? Go Speaking of wholesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this whole, like, episode where Matthew tries to buy Anna dress is... <laughs> Mm-hmm. the most wholesome shit in the entire book and possibly that i have read in the past year it is everything it's delightful he's just like he's an utter delight and he's so shy and he wants to buy her a pretty dress with poofy sleeves but he doesn't know how and he's like a- afraid know. to go talk to the sales lady so he just kind of stands there and buys a bunch of stuff
2: and it's so cute i know yeah so sweet so sweet definitely yeah. matthew at his finest yeah we stand, matthew uh-huh um I guess since we're doing our last thoughts I'll take this opportunity to share that until my very late teen years I did think that Avonlea was a real town in Prince Edward Island Uh, yeah we all did I can't (laughs) deny it was a little bit disappointing to find out it is indeed fictional just feels so real um but we can always visit Cavendish. Yeah. And you can
1: go to uh, the house Lucy Montgomery was born in. Yep. The Green Gables-esque house. Um, And I've seen people post photos. There's like a little carriage outside and you can put on like a hat that's got braids attached to it. Oh my oh, God. And like, oh man, <laughs> a little carriage. So good. But I love it.
0: I'm um, I am w- sensing a girl's trip in our future. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Definitely. 100%. Um, I really enjoyed the scenes where Anne got so excited for events like the Sunday school picnic or like concerts or tea parties. And like part of it is so endearing to like seeing her have so much excitement for something so simple. And she says something about like, oh, the looking forward to it is like part of the enjoyment. Um, and like, so what if you're disappointed, if it doesn't go the way you wanted to, like looking forward to it is like the fun part of it. Mm Um, and so it's so endearing. But, like, also it kind of reminds you of how little there was to do in those days. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in a small yeah. town like Avonlea. Like, a picnic was a big event. Yeah. That was the event of the season. Um, I had one final thought. This is not in my notes. But, um, so, I remember watching the movie before reading the book. But I guess I never finished the movie. It is quite a long movie. Um, So I remember reading the book and someone... Ironically, also named Matthew, our neighbor Matt, um, when I saw I was reading the book and went, Oh, Matthew dies. <laughs> and I was like, What? Matthew <laughs> dies? <laughs> oh, no. Excuse me? So I guess I never finished the movie, maybe? Because oh, I had this memory pop up and I was like, Oh, yeah. And I was like, Really mad. How he embarrassing. Like, Matthew
2: dies. Oh, no. um, oh interesting. Yeah. It's so funny the first time someone spoiled a uh, death at the end of a, a novel before yeah, you sorry uh, yeah Alyssa did one <laughs> sorry
1: Lindsay the iconic story Lindsay <laughs> yeah I, d- I, I, I double crossed her on that one oh yeah my so both Graham and Lindsay finished uh mocking Jay before I did oh and uh I didn't I had like well, I hadn't read it yet. I don't remember why. And then Lindsay just suddenly one night we were talking about it and they, I was like, no spoilers. I haven't read it. And Lindsay was like, Peter Murderscale. I was like, what? She was like, I'm sorry, Peter Murderscale. <laughs> I know. And I think you knew I was Team Gale at that point. And I was like, what? So I refused <laughs> to read the book. And then I was at the premiere for the movie with a friend. And I was like, yeah, I haven't read Mocking- or for the first movie uh, and I was like, I haven't read Mockingjay yet because I know Pete at Murder And they're like, that does not happen, Allison.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Hey, everyone. Little brother Graham here. While we're on the subject of spoiling the end of Mockingjay, I feel I should tell you that Alison is not so innocent when it comes to this subject. She has conveniently forgotten to tell you about the time after I first purchased the book and she came up to me while I was reading snatched the book out of my hand, skimmed the last page, looked at me, and said, Prim dies, handed the book back to me, and then skipped away. To this
1: day, I don't know why she did that, and she has not answered for her crimes. I mean, I probably did something to deserve it, so... Oh well.
2: I'll just get back to editing. (laughs) Uh
1: funny 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 yeah <laughs> it's a good it's a good story yeah us, that's, so. that's good yeah. that's
0: that's definitely better than me telling you that snape kills dumbledore and i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry i'm sorry for me.
1: yeah i went oh because i Lindsay couldn't hold read. it in
0: it was hurting me physically and i had nobody to talk to about it yeah
1: because Lindsay got to read uh, *Half hapland prince before i did because we only bought one copy because <laughs> yep. uh, obviously our parents were like we're not buying three copies <laughs> like, yeah take turns yeah uh and then like I guess you were still finishing it and Alyssa Dolly finished it. And I was like, oh, so what happens? I was expecting like a, oh, I you Well, Harry you asked Ginny what happened. <laughs> I did. I did walk into it a bit. But like, I was expecting like, Harry and Ginny get together. We learn more about Voldemort. But you went straight for it. You went, <laughs> s- not even like, okay, how many spoilers? How much of a spoiler do
0: you want? <laughs> no. No content no, no, warning. Just, <laughs> yeah, I had to say something. Sabermen. It was burning me up inside. That's yep. So good. I'm sorry. And then when I read that
1: part with mom, I remember, and I didn't really react to it. And she was kind of like, Um, so do you think he's dead? (laughs) I was like, oh, I already knew that actually. Funny. Uh, Anyways, um, we're not talking about Hunger Games and Harry Potter. We're talking about Anne. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, I'll I'll kick it off with our final rating. So, um, honestly, I had a great time rereading it. Like, I don't know if it would be as enjoyable without the nostalgia factor. Uh, (laughs) but like the book still holds up and it's a very fun reread. And um, I've continued on with the series. Like, I just read Anne of Avonlea. I have the first three, so I'm going to read Anne of the Island. I don't know if I'll keep going because I just don't have them, but um, like I might. Uh, but yeah, but the first one, especially, is like a very solid book, I think. So I yeah. give it a 9 out of 10. I'm only docking it a point from my original writing uh, because I felt like there could have been a stronger plot or conflict or objective for Anne or Marilla. But um, I think that might be just a matter of like modern-day readers being more accustomed to action-heavy books. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're
1: like mm-hmm. what's yeah. the
0: agenda? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Like, come on, are we just like learning to be a good
2: person? What? <laughs> what? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I
1: didn't. Uh, sign but up yeah, for this. so nine out of ten
2: for me. Okay. Um, yeah, I love reading this book again, especially at the end of summer. Uh, I know the book mm-hmm. covers all seasons, but it has a big time end of summer vibe. Yeah. Does anyone else yeah. feel this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean, I especially wanted to do it uh, in October because of the, her iconic October quote. I'm so glad to live in a world with Octobers. Oh, that's yeah. true. That's yeah, true. So I was like, we have to do it in October. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. End of summer through autumn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree that while, uh, nice books the subsequent installments definitely don't hold the same charm as book one yeah. but the first one is just so special mm-hmm. and i know this isn't a super interesting move but i am going to stick with my 10 out of 10 rating in adulthood <laughs> i just love this i respect book. that yeah, yeah that's totally valid yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I, I think i was genuinely surprised by how much i really enjoyed reading it this time there were like a few little things that annoyed me I mean, it all had to do with, like, the time in which it was written. Can't be mad mm-hmm. at Montgomery for just, like, existing in her own time period. So I would probably rate it, like, a 9 out of 10. It's, yes, it is wholesome. Absolutely worth a reread. Like, go dust that book off that you haven't touched in 20 years. Open it back up. Read it. It's a classic Canadian masterpiece. Enjoy mm-hmm. Canada. Come to Canada. Mm-hmm. Come hang out. Just not during COVID. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it is really nice to see like a classic Canadian piece of literature hold up and not be intensely problematic uh, in yeah. the current political moment. So that's nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was interested to hear.
1: Yeah, you're rating, Alyssa, because I guess like Lindsay and I have a much more kind conne- uh, yeah. childhood connection to it. you yeah. uh, Not as much so as interested to hear, but good to know.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. totally, totally held up for me. Join us next time for our Halloweenous episode, where we will be reading selected books from the Goosebump series by R.L. Stein with another special guest. This has been Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Books Before Liquor and Twitter
0: at BooksBLPodcast. And check us out on our website at BooksBeforeLiquorNeverBeenSicker.ca or email us at booksbeforeliquor at gmail.com to scream at us about great books or send us recommendations or whatever. We love to hear from you. And you can also support us by visiting patreon.com slash books liquor never been sicker.
1: And now go drink a big glass of water.